Welcome to the Elevate Life podcast channel. We hope this sermon encourages and inspires you so you can go and grow to your next level. For more information about our church, please visit our website, elevate.life. Enjoy the message. Wow, what an honour and a privilege to stand back on this stage after three years. Thank you, Texas, for welcoming Australian COVID refugees. I can't even begin to tell you how good it is to breathe Texan air, mask free in Jesus' name. Hey, can I just say, you all all got special pastors. I know that's probably a common courteous thing for guest minister to stand up here and, you know, pour out, you know, accolades. I'm Australian. We don't do that. We tell it how it is. And so let me tell you how it is. What I just heard Pastor Keith do, I ain't never heard any pastor Get up on stage and tell it like it is. He's an Australian. You're an Australian. I'm so honoured to call you my family of choice. I truly love, I don't love Frisco. Let me be honest. It's just concrete roads and, you know, stuff. But the family of choice in Frisco. Now that is to truly be loved. And I love you guys. I love Pastor Keith and Pastor Sheila and the entire Kraft family. I'm so honoured to call them friends. So honoured that you would give me the privilege to stand on this platform and encourage your family today. So why don't we pray and then we'll get underway. Father God, we just, wow, we're so grateful that we get to gather in freedom here today. God, it is a, a prize to be cherished to be protected and fought for. God, I thank You that You have graced us with the freedom to come in the absence of persecution to sit at Your feet and learn from You today. So God, let us not take this moment for granted. Let us with great intention open up our hearts and our minds to extract everything from what it is that You wanna say and give us today. So God, I pray that You would have Your way, not my way, not a political way, not any other way, just your way. May your will be done and may it bear great fruit in our lives. In Jesus' name we thank you. Amen and amen. Woo-hoo! Go ahead, give the Lord a great shout and a great clap and take a seat. <laughs> so cool. Good to be in Texas. I want to start um, today by sharing a little historical trivia with you. Are you ready to go? All right. Who am I? I was born about a thousand years before Christ into a wealthy family belonging to the tribe of Benjamin. I came from a town called Gabeah, and one day one of the donkeys or some of the donkeys belonging to my father went missing, and so he sent my servant and I out to go and look for them, but our search proved futile. That was, of course, until my servant suggested, hey, why don't we go and consult the great and famous prophet of the Lord? But as soon as we approached the prophet and the prophet saw me, God told him that I was to be anointed king of Israel. And know, by the way, that the donkeys had already been found. Now, I was a nobody, so needless to say, this totally freaked me out because when it came to be crowned, well, I was so insecure that I hid among the supplies until they found me and dragged me out and coronated me. And that day, I made history. I became the very first king of Israel and reigned 42 years. 
didn't take me long to get used to this king thing because I loved being admired by the people. In fact, I learned very quickly how to rule over them. Because I was now the one who was making the rules, I thought, well, no one can tell me what to do, including God himself. And that was my first major mistake. I disobeyed God's specific instructions, but instead of humbling myself, I justified myself. And as a consequence, God withdrew his favor from me. The Philistines, they regrouped, they amassed an army so large that like, I didn't know what to do. And by that time, the famous prophet of the Lord, Samuel, he'd already passed away. I was so desperate. But instead of relying on God, I consulted a sorcerer to channel Samuel's dead spirit so that I could seek his advice once again. But as the ghost actually appeared, I freaked out. I fell to my face, but the ghost only predicted doom. In the major battle that followed, the army of Israel was overrun. My sons were killed, and to avoid facing the shame of being captured, I intentionally fell onto my own sword. Who am I? My name is Saul of Gabeah, the first king of Israel. So how did you go? Like, did you get it? And, and did you get it like maybe right at the start or somewhere in the middle or maybe towards the end? Or maybe some of you are still sitting there thinking like, who? So let me give you a second chance. Let me give you another shot. Final one. Who am I? I was born in the capital city of the Roman province of Sicilia, what is now the south coast of modern day Turkey. My family also belonged to the tribe of Benjamin and I grew up as a strict Pharisee. In fact, I was educated at the feet of Rabbi Gamaliel. This rabbi, he wasn't just anyone, he was the leading authority of the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem about the time that Jesus walked the earth. But I believe that this rabbi called Jesus, well, he was a fraud and I hated his followers. In fact, I approved of and witnessed of their execution. I was very righteous in doing very well in, in building my own career as a religious teacher and leader. At least that, that's what I thought. You see, one day it all came to a screeching halt when I had my own personal encounter with this rabbi called Jesus. I was on the road to Damascus in Syria. Now, I completely freaked out because this so-called modern-day prophet, well, he'd already been executed. So this could mean only one thing, that indeed he was the Messiah who he claimed to be. So I fell on my face before him. But that was the beginning of a crazy season of insecurity for me because, well, there were already so many other great apostles. And I just went from being the most qualified to the least qualified. And to add insult to injury, my name was changed to Paul which means little, humble, or small. Who am I? My name is Saul of Tarsus. And today, I would like to tell you the tale of the two Sauls. The first, of course, became the king of Israel, and the other became the apostle for Christ. And both of them were actually pioneers in their time. The Old Testament Saul, he led the people of Israel out of the time of judges and into the season of kings. He was the first of which many were to follow after him. 
But the New Testament Saul, he too was a pioneer because he took the gospel, which at that time was held on to, preserved and reserved, only taught to and by the Jews, and he took it to the rest of the world. But these two guys, they've got a whole stack of stuff in common. In fact, their name, Saul, means desired. And indeed, they both were very desirable. In fact, they they started out as exceptional young men packed full of potential. And indeed, both of them were described in Scripture as being quite literally head and shoulders above the rest. Check it out. Of Saul of Gabeah, the Old Testament Saul, the king to be. In 1 Samuel 9 verse 2, it says, Saul was the most handsome young man. There was none finer. He literally stood head and shoulders above the crowd. But of Saul of Tarsus, the apostle to be, he acknowledged himself in Galatians chapter 1 verse 14. I was so enthusiastic about the traditions of my ancestors that I advanced head and shoulders above my peers in my career. And even then God had designs on me. It's interesting that these guys both had radical roadside conversions. The Old Testament Saul, it says in 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 6, the Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. And indeed, that's what took place along the road to Gabeah. But the New Testament Saul, he too had a roadside encounter with the risen Christ. He was on his way to Damascus and all of a sudden he was blinded by this light. And then came this voice, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? Now, of course, Saul must have completely freaked out because he's blinded. He can't see anything. All he can hear is this voice. He must have been thinking like, who are you? I bet that Jesus at that moment would have loved to have just gone really close to Paul and said, I'm Batman. Like that would have been really cool to see Hollywood produce. Both Saul of Gabeah and Saul of Tarsus, they fell on their faces before prophets of the Lord who had died. The first Saul summoned the prophet Samuel from the grave, whereas the second Saul was summoned by Jesus who defied the grave. In 1 Samuel 28, verse 15, it says that King Saul said to the dead prophet, I have summoned you to tell me what I should do, to tell me what I should do. Whereas Saul of Tarsus, trembling in astonishment, said in Acts chapter 9, verse 6, Lord, why don't you tell me what to do? Both the one who became king and the other who became the apostle, they lived over 60 years and both died sudden and violent deaths. One committed suicide to protect himself from capture and shame, whereas the other was martyred in Jesus' name. There are many striking similarities in the tale of the two souls. However, the older they got, the more they progressed in their life, the more different they actually became. In fact, for all that they started out with in common, they ended up being the representation of two opposite polars. The first was consumed with the building of the kingdom of Saul, whereas the second was consumed with the building of the kingdom of God. The first refused to fully buy into God's way, whereas the second was fully sold out for God's way. One lived for himself, whereas the other died to himself, living exclusively for the cause of Christ. And lastly, when the going got tough, 
Well, one became depressed and emotionally unstable, whereas the other rejoiced and said, my God is able. In the tale of the two souls, the first should serve as a warning to us, whereas the second should serve as an example for us to follow. In fact, the Apostle Paul even went on to say in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me, do as I do. In other words, I've got this going on. If you follow me together, we're going to be okay. Now, why would we follow him? Because he is following Christ. And what is it that we should follow him in exactly? Well, I would like to contend today that the way in which he dealt with his insecurities would be a great thing for us to learn from. You see, despite where the two souls ended up, they both started out being quite insecure. In 1 Samuel 9 verse 21, the first soul said, but I'm only a Benjamite like from the smallest of Israel's tribes and from the most insignificant clan at that. In other words, I'm not worthy to become king. Whereas the second soul said pretty much exactly the same thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, it says, I'm the least worthy of all the apostles. Like I shouldn't even be called an apostle after the way in which I treated the church of God. They both started out as being insecure. But because of the way in which they did or didn't deal with their insecurities, their lives ended up having completely different trajectories. And today, I think it's high time that you and I also dealt with our own insecurities. Because the truth is, especially when it comes to relationships, we've all got some level of insecurity Now, the truth is, when we talk about insecurity, it's not a very nice topic to talk about. No one wants to actually admit that they're feeling insecure. And for some, it might be a self-centric insecurity. It might be that I don't feel comfortable in my own skin or I might have body issue concerns or intimacy issues. Whereas for others, it might be others-centric. It might be the person that I'm with. I'm insecure as to whether or not they're going to be faithful to me or whether or not they're going to betray or abandon me or lie to me or, or, or deceive me. And so we might be self-centric or other-centric in our insecurity, but at the end of the day, it's just, it's all insecurity. And even though we might have different types of insecurity, we might also have different responses to our own insecurity. For example, we might become withdrawn and sullen or, or even silent. We might stop talking to our partner, but we'll typically start speaking to our friends to garner support. Or the opposite might be true for you. You don't shut up. You keep on talking. You're talking, 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 talking. And and, and that's also maybe a sign of your own insecurity as you now try and convince this person of your way or control them or in some way maybe even manipulate the situation so as to deal with your own insecurity because you don't know if you can trust them. It's important to note that one way is not better or worse than the other. They're both just different expressions of insecurity. And I'm acutely aware that it got all of a sudden real quiet in here as you're like, oh, it's not, I don't know who's talking about. It's obviously talking about you because it's not me. I don't have these. Because no one wants to be seen as insecure. We, we kind of just pretend, we smile through our pain. And yeah, how are you doing today? Yeah, fine. All the while, like you've got anxiety, you've got doubts on the inside. You're, you're concerned as to whether or not you can even make the week. Insecurity 
therefore is often described as a lack of confidence. But I'm here to tell you today that you can be confident and still be insecure. But as we see from the tale of the two souls, how you deal with your insecurity will ultimately determine your destiny. If, um, if you are honest in your relationships and you don't pretend or disguise your insecurity, well, you become what we call in psychology, authentic. And as you humble yourself and don't allow your insecurities to hold you back, if you're true to yourself and, and don't, I don't know, just try and be somebody else, if you develop the courage and confidence to actually face your fears, then you actually become magnetic. In other words, you actually attract people to you and you become a natural born leader. If however you run away from things that take you out of your comfort zone and you simply pretend that like everything's okay and you disguise your pain, well you will become synthetic and you repel people from you. But to compensate now for your own shortcomings, you might even start to blame those people who you are in relationship with. And instead of taking responsibility, if you start making excuses, you'll end up believing that you have become a victim. Whereas in reality, what you have become is pathetic. Now, now whether it be authentic, magnetic, <laughs> synthetic or pathetic, the choice is yours. And look, I don't mean to be too harsh on you, but I am only here for one Sunday. So I've got to tell it how it is and make sure that I'm delivering truth in love. Look, you can either be offended and go, or you can be stretched and get ready to grow. The question that I want to pose this morning is not so much, what is the source of our insecurities, but rather, what do we do? when these insecurities come along. And I do say when, not if, because we all at some level or another will tap into insecurity from time to time. So when it arises, what is it that we can do? But the Saul from the Old Testament and the Saul from the New Testament, they started out, as we said before, as being insecure, but they ended up in different places because of the way in which they dealt with their insecurity. People who don't manage their insecurities well typically have a few things in common. See if you can recognize any of these about yourself, not your spouse. As we can learn from the life of King Saul, they typically firstly resist instruction and correction. So when the truth is laid out before them, they become defensive. They're like, well, you don't understand. Like, I didn't have the same upbringing that you had, and it's not fair, and I don't have the same privilege that you might have. Or we turn it around and we say, what did you say about me? Ha, that's nothing. What about what you do? And we just turn it around because we're being defensive. We are not open to instruction or correction. Secondly, we become jealous and envious. It's like, it's not fair. You've always got that privilege. You've always got that. Well, how come you always get the, the money or that you always have the right to say what? We just start to become jealous and envious of what others have. 
Thirdly, we become corrupted in our character. We start to compromise on our own moral standing. Number four, therefore, we become emotionally unstable. And number five, we, re- we avoid responsibility and transfer the blame. You see, when you can't lose well, you lose more than your relationship. You lose the fabric of your soul. Your very identity becomes confused now. People don't, who don't have a relationship with God because, well, I'm going to have these things lopsided in, in my life. I'm going to need to you know, find something to compensate for security. I'm going, to need to, I'm going to need to put my security in other things. And so we do. Things like money. Now, money is a blessing, and it's true that you might find some security in money because, you know, hey, the last couple of years have been pretty tough, and and if you've got bills to pay and you've got no income coming in, well, hang on, that makes me a little bit insecure. Where am I going to get the funds to pay the mortgage or whatever it might be? But if you've got money, well, then there's a level of security there for you. But can I just say, it's not complete security. Now, I totally believe, I think it's better to have more money than to be broke. But it's not complete security because, well, economic circumstances might quickly change. That's why the Apostle Paul said, I have learned to be content and secure in both riches and in poverty. In other words, money was not his source of security. I mean, I mean, if you've been married, you even stood before God and witnesses and said, I do hereby solemnly promise to love you for better or for worse, in good times and in bad times, for sickness and in health, in riches or in poor times, for richer or for poorer. Like we even make that declaration. Why? Because all too often we'll arrive at a juncture in our relationship where we go, sorry, we'll look so great at the beginning when you had all this money rolling in, but now it's like, what? Sorry, loserville. I'm going to find some. No, no, our security It can't be found in money because money is transient. Our security should be found in the declaration of love, which brings us to our second one. Well, love, it must be love that we find our security in. If they would just love me properly, then I would feel secure in this relationship. And again, there's an element of truth to that because personally, I think it's far better to be in a loving relationship than to be in an unloving relationship. But no person on the face of the planet can give you complete security. So if you can't get love and attention from the people that you're in relationship with, maybe you can attract some attention from others. Maybe instead of focusing on love, I could focus on my looks. And let me just be honest for a second, I look good. Or at least maybe I think I do because I'm wearing my Texas outfit today. And, but let me just be honest for a second. Look, beauty fades. Only plastic surgery lasts forever. <laughs> but look, once again, there's an element of truth in this because if you feel good about the way you look, well, you'll act with more confidence. And, but if you're having a bad hair day, or if you're feeling bloated in your stomach and you feel unattractive, well, that can lead to insecurity. But even if you've got it all going on, you got the latest outfit, you got the new hairdo, you got the shoes, and then you, of course, what do you do? selfie you upload it on Instagram and you wait for the comments to come in and first comment is whoa those shoes like what Jimmy Choo whoa and then and we start looking at the hair and we start looking at the outfit but the sixth comment comes in and says but you look fat in that 
And in one moment, you get wiped out like a tsunami. So where there's a lack of security in relationships, well, people might start instead of, you know, whether it be money, looks, or love, maybe we'll gravitate towards achievements. Okay, so the relationship's not working out, but at least I've got my company or my business or my career profile to focus on. And so achievements is the next thing, whether it be academic achievements, qualifications, work accomplishments, titles, positions, or even public accolades. And the thing is, It feels good to win an award or be promoted or be celebrated. I mean, tonight's the Super Bowl. One of the teams is going to win. Go Cleveland. Uh, and, and, And then guess what? Next year, there'll be another Super Bowl. And if somebody else wins, well, it was only ever short-lived. In other words, it's not sustainable. So therefore, some couples put their security in their possessions. Okay, so he might not love me anymore, but at least he gave me this 12-carat diamond ring. And so if things don't work out, I can pawn this thing and start again. And so we've got our security. And I, well, maybe for the guy, it's like, I got my I got my wild hogs, midlife crisis motorcycle. She might not love me anymore, but at least I got something to ride off into sunset with. Yeah, you keep riding because that ain't going to fix you. Look, don't get me wrong. I, I love cool stuff. I love, I love the gadgets. I love the watches. I love the, the, the cars. But, but we can't ever find our security in those things, even in our fashion, because well, fashions change. What might be in this year is out the next year. Look, don't get me wrong. Looks... Money, love, accomplishments, possessions, they're all important, but a relationship with God, now that's essential. It's non-negotiable. Look, rather, rather than finding our security in something, what if we were to find our security in someone? So if you're feeling insecure in your finances, well, turn to God because Scripture says, I will supply all your needs. Or if you're feeling insecure in your love, we'll turn to God for He is your Redeemer. If you're feeling insecure in your body, we'll turn to God because He welcomes you into His body, the body of Christ. Feeling insecure in your accomplishments, we'll turn to God for He is your refuge and your strength, your ever-present help in times of trouble. Feeling insecure in your possessions, well, God says, here, possess me. It's the greatest possession you could ever have. It's not a thing. It's a someone. In fact, for those who find their security in God, God goes ahead and gives us a whole stack of promises. It's found in uh, the 91st Psalm. Psalm 91 verse 14 says, Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He'll call on me. I'm going to answer him. I'll be with him in trouble. I'll deliver him and honor him. And with a long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. In other words, there's a whole stack of promises for those who find their security in him. But... Even among Christian couples who do place their trust in God and find their security in Him because we're still human, every now and again, even we will have insecurities. At the the end of the day, deep down, there's a part of insecurity that, that connects us all. And so what do we do with it when it comes our way? 
And so in the remainder of the time that we have here together, I, I just want to share with you three unorthodox pieces of advice, three radical ideas that seem so unreasonable that if you stop and actually listen and process and percolate them, then maybe, just maybe, they will help transform the insecurity that you might have in your relationships. So anyone want to learn what these are? Ready to go? Okay, number one, three relationship tips that are going to seem counterintuitive. Number one is compare yourself. Compare yourself. No, hang on. I've heard you shouldn't compare yourself because comparison is like cancer. And there might be an element of truth to that, but I'm saying compare yourself to care yourself. It kind of reminds me of the story uh, recorded in, in the book of John, John chapter 11, where the disciples of Jesus are hanging out one day, just having a chat with each other, talking. And one says to the other, hey, you know what? Uh, when Jesus comes into the, the kingdom, like, I'm just saying, I think I'm going to be the greatest. Like, like Jesus and I, we've got it going on. But, but, but one of the others was says, hang on, whoa, just time out for a second. Like, you, you're not going to be the greatest. Me and Jesus, we are so tight. When we break bread, I put my head on his shoulders. Like, we are BFFs. So I'm going to be the greatest. And another one comes along and says, oh, no, I am an academic. And I can do a superfluous Jesus of the Scripture. I didn't even know what that means. It sounds very complicated. But I am going to be the greatest in the kingdom. And so then Jesus comes along and they're like, let's settle this right. Jesus, Come. And so Jesus comes over and they're like, can you tell us when you enter into the kingdomhood, like who among us is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And Jesus looks at them and says, what, what is wrong with you people? And then calls a child up, wait, come here. And, and brings the child and puts him in, in, in his midst and says, hey, unless you humble yourself and become like this little child, you will by no means even enter the kingdom. So you're asking me, which one among you is going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Ha! You're not even coming, buddy. The idea is that each one of us are equally valuable in God's kingdom or in God's sight. So when you're in relationship, you don't need to compete with one another to jostle for position as to who's better. Well, at least I don't do that. We often jostle for position, not by edifying one another. Oh, no, you're better than me. You're better than me. No, you really are. No, you're really the best. No, we do it exactly the opposite. No, I don't do that. I would never do that to you. And we push the other person down so as to elevate ourselves. Why would we do that? We're not in competition with the people that we are in relationship with. We don't need to compete for any, each other's love any more than we need to compete for God's love. It's often said that winners focus on winning, but losers focus on winners. In other words, the person who's going to win is focused on winning, but the loser is focused on the person who's winning. And even though, once again, there might be an element of truth to that, I don't entirely agree. Even though comparison can be like emotional cancer, it can also be a catalyst for motivation. As Pastor Keith was sharing in the introduction, I used to be a snowboard racer um, on the Australian team, and, and I was so looking forward to, to competing um, at the World Championships, which, which never took place because I chose to pursue the career of psychology over, over professional snowboarding, which I was doing for several years. But whenever I would compete, I would always watch just the one, my number one competitor. I wouldn't watch anyone else. I, I don't want to learn from, from what they're doing wrong. I want to have a blueprint of what I need to do. 
I want to look and go, yep, okay, he's taking that line. Okay, great. Or, oh, he made that mistake. Okay, I don't want to avoid that particular. And I would learn from the one, not to judge him, but to learn from him. Sometimes we look at other people who are doing really well and we compare ourselves to them and we become insecure because of our jealousy of them. Uh, for example, I look at Pastor Keith. You've seen Pastor Keith? He's like, his, his arms are the size of my legs. <laughs> and, 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 and even though there's possibly something I could do about that, if I you know, had the discipline like he has, I can't necessarily achieve the height that he's got. He's a giant. I'm just this tiny little kid from Australia. Like he is a, he's a, I love him. I love to look I'm, as he's standing there. As he's like every now and again, just flinches a muscle, just happens on him. I'm like, oh, just sets a shiver down my spine. I'm like, yeah. The, the, the truth is I would love to look like Pastor Keith and not just look like, but have you seen him preach? When he gets up here on the stage, he declares with authority the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I, I can't do that. I like can't even do the, the American accent. I'm just like some simple guy from Australia. <laughs> and have you seen what they do in their marriage? Like they celebrate their anniversary every month. Like who does that? <laughs> now I could be intimidated by that. And I go, oh, that's just like, you were just like, you're show off. And now I start judging because I don't actually have what he has. We were talking before, people who criticize people who've got money typically don't have money. People who criticize people who drive really nice cars are typically people who don't drive nice cars. But if you drive a nice car, then you admire the car of another one who's driving uh, a really nice car. So what are we doing here? If I don't have something that they've got, I can have an attitude of judgment or I can have an attitude where I want what you got. Like, what do I need to do? How can I do? How can I emulate? How can I copy? How can I learn from? And not that I have to actually do everything that they do, but with a spirit, with an attitude of humility, well, I now get to grow instead of get offended and go. I often hear the critique, uh, especially on social media. Yeah, we should, shouldn't look at social media because people only post their highlights. And I think, well, thank God for that because I don't want to see your lowlights. I don't want to see the bad hair day, the bad coffee, the bad relationship. No, I don't want to see the bad, mad, and then the sad. I want to see, see the testimony of what God is doing in your life. I want to be inspired and encouraged by that. But if listening to somebody's testimony causes you to feel insecure, jealous, or envious, if looking at somebody else's relationship causes you to feel disappointed in your own or maybe even hostile towards your partner or those you are in relationship with, then quite simply, I would argue, you don't know who you are in Christ. If you feel insecure by looking at somebody else's relationship and you think to yourself, well, I wish I had a husband like that who looks after his wife like he clearly does. Or if you start thinking, I wish I had a wife like that who would honor her husband in that way, especially in public, then can I just suggest you're looking at the wrong person. Instead of comparing your spouse, compare yourself. In other words, compare to care. Be inspired to change. Be the change that you're so desperately longing for in your relationship to become the spouse that will help foster the security in your 
relationship. And as a child of God, you've got to know that security is your blood-bought birthright. When you enter into a relationship with Jesus, you inherit His value, His identity, and His security. The promise is that there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate the love that He has for you. Can I just say that again? Nothing. Can anybody say nothing? Nothing Nothing can separate the love that God has for you. Not height, not depth, not width, nothing. And that right there is a blueprint for your marriage. When you compare to the King of Kings, you may never reach that standard. I may never reach the status or the standard of Pastor Keith, but I can look up and I go, but I can grow. God is conforming me to His own image and His own likeness. And He says, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Where did that come from? Because the love I have from you, no one, nothing can separate the love I have from you. That's the blueprint. So when I start to compare with, 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 with myself, with God, instead of comparing myself horizontally and feeling insecure, I go, God, how can I emulate that? How can I grow into that? Glad one person is enjoying this message. Okay, number two. <laughs> Unorthodox relationship tip number two is feel insecure more often. And some of you are thinking, sorry, what? Like that, that doesn't make sense. If we're trying to overcome insecurity, surely we should not feel insecure. But let me tell you, if you want to move towards your destiny, you have to step away from your security. Sounds like a contradiction, but the truth is to become more secure, you have to frequently move out of your comfort zone. In other words, the place that you feel most secure. It's a little bit like the Bible verse that says, the world of the generous grows larger and larger. And oftentimes we think, hang on, that just doesn't make sense. The Bible, it's sometimes a little bit backwards and upside down. You know, the first will be last and the last will be first. No, if you're first, you're first, not last. It doesn't, yeah, just, just dismiss it, put it to the side. It's just hocus pocus. Actually, no, it's physics. Because if you go to the doctor and you say, Doc, I just, I just, I just don't have any energy. The doctor will say to you, what you need to do is go out and expend more energy. In other words, go exercise. And you will say to the doctor, no, no, doc, I don't think you heard me correctly. I said, I don't have energy. And the doctor said, no, no, I heard you. But if you want more, this is what you do. You go expend more because the more you expend, the more you cultivate. Here's the deal. It's very easy to get what you want. Just get up and do the thing that you don't feel like doing. Let me say it again. It's easy. It's very simple to get what you don't, what you want. Just get up and do the thing that you don't feel like doing. Now I know some of you are going, "Hang on, that sounds contradiction." Because isn't want, you know, if you if you want something, isn't that a feeling too? Well, no, not quite. See, want is a deep down desire for a better future, whereas feeling is the in moment emotional experience. People think that feeling insecure is uncomfortable, whereas in reality, it's a feeling of comfort that we will lose if we step out and face our fears. Uh, Let me say that again. I mean, some people got it, others didn't. Look, we often think, oh no, this insecurity, it makes me feel so uncomfortable, but it's actually comfort. It's the feeling of comfort that you are holding on to that you dare not lose because if you step out of your comfort zone and face your fears, well, you'll no longer have the comfort. It's a fear of losing comfort as opposed to the actual insecurity that we fear if that makes sense. 
Reminds me of uh, John chapter 5. There's a story of Jesus coming to the pool of Bethesda where there's a crippled guy. He's been laying there for, uh, I don't know, decades. And, and, and Jesus says to him, ah, okay, so it's a long time. If you know the story, uh, once a year, the water would stir. And the legend was that the first person into the pool would get healed. And so Jesus looks at this guy who's been sitting there for decades. And he says, hey, I've um, got a question for you. So do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be healed? And the guy responds by saying, oh, like, no, you don't understand. Because like every time the water stirs, like the, the, the people that get in, I've got no one to help me to get into the water. And that's why I can't get healed. And I'm just so fascinated that that wasn't the question Jesus asked. Jesus just asked, do you want to be healed? A simple yes or no would have sufficed. And oftentimes when we hear that, we go, what a stupid thing. I mean, seriously, if you've been sitting there for like 38 years and, and you know, you haven't got your healing and Jesus comes along and says, hey, you want to be healed? We, of course, would say yes, right? Except when you all come into my psychology clinic and you sit on the couch with your relationship messed up dysfunction and you say to me, oh, this is terrible, I don't know what, and I say to you, okay, so would you like your relationship to be reconciled, restored and redeemed? This is what you say. Oh, you don't understand. Well, this per he's so dysfunctional, like his habits, and he's just, he's neglecting me. She just doesn't love me anymore. She is like, she's abandoned me. She's abandoned. Oh, sorry, that wasn't my question. A simple yes or no would have done. If the answer is yes, then the good news is that there is a way in which it can be achieved. However, it might require you to face some uncomfortable truths along the way. It's quite simple to get what you want. Just get up and do the thing that you don't feel like doing because if you want it, if you really want it, then go get it. <laughs> Look, it's easy to say, but it's hard to do because taking a step of faith and, and stepping out of our comfort zone and doing things that we wouldn't normally do like, I'm not sure when's the last time the preacher got off the stage and walked in, into the audience. Um, yeah, last week, was it? Okay, good on you, Pastor. That's awesome. That's really great. Here, I'm trying to do something really cool. Uh, but, but can I just say, it's a little bit nerve-wracking for me to step out. My heart is, is racing. My autonomic nervous system is, is firing now. Uh, and as I walk among you and I see your face, you're probably just as nervous as, like, don't come close to me with the microphone. Like, don't ask me any questions. I'm not here. I'm not here. And, and so we're all a little bit insecure when something, or, you know, kind of a little bit unfamiliar takes place. But the longer I hang out here, it's actually not so bad. The longer we face our fear, the less insecure we feel. So maybe for you, stepping off the stage or taking a leap of faith might be just to go up and say, I just wanted to say, I'm so sorry. But it's not just a one thing. Let me say it again and again. Like, let me own my stuff. Or maybe for you, it's the opposite. Maybe for you, it's, I just want to say, I forgive you. It's really uncomfortable because I don't actually think that this person deserves to be forgiven, but I'm going to extend grace anyway, and not just today. I'm going to do it every day. 70 times seven if required, and I'm not counting. When we take our fear and we hold it in our fan and we, we hand and we examine it, it's not that we become friends with fear, but we start to become familiar with fear. And when we're familiar with fear, fear is no longer a factor for you. In fact, fear can become fun. And our third and final paradox as we've kind of run out of time is this. Don't think, just do. 
Now, now once again, this doesn't seem to, to make sense because your mama, she has told you since you were a wee child, like, put your brain into gear. Don't speak without thinking. Like, don't act without thinking. Like, put your brain into gear. That is God, what God gave it to you for. Like, use your brain. But I'm suggesting, uh-uh. If you want to overcome your insecurities, don't think, just do. Just get up and do it. When you have Christ Jesus in you, when you find your security in Him, you already have the blueprint. You don't need to think about it. You just need to do it. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, the Apostle Paul, the second soul, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And as such, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives in me. You see, the devil wants to intimidate us. The devil wants us to make us, he wants to make us feel insecure. But it's hard to intimidate a dead person. When you've died to yourself and you no longer live for yourself, it's no longer your reputation, your agenda, your ego, but rather you choose to live for the cause of Christ. Wow, there's a confidence that comes with that. Uh, let me put it into a relationship context. Instead of loving your spouse or loving your child so that they will love you in turn, what if you were to love your spouse for the cause of Christ, to honour Him because this marriage covenant is a representation of the covenant that we have with God. So let me go out and extend this love so as to bring glory to God. And in the same way, let me not make that stupid mistake because that will smear the name of God. For your own name's sake, for your paths of righteousness, I will walk along so that I don't drag your name into the mud. Like when we have a different motive in the way in which we love to bring honour and glory to, to God, well, then we declare, actually, Jesus, you are the Lord of my relationship as well. You don't need to think about it. You just need to do it. Think of it, think of it like this. René Descartes, he's famous for saying in Latin, cogito ergo sum, which when translated into English means, I think, therefore, I am. Now, Latin is actually one of the most ancient languages on the planet, but Hebrew is even more ancient. And in Exodus chapter 3, verse 13, Moses says to God, well, suppose I go to the Israelites and they say, okay, so the God of your fathers, uh, he's the one who sent you, right? Okay, so prove it. Like, what's his name? Like, God, what should I tell them? And God simply says, Eche, 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 I am who I am. René Descartes says, I think, therefore I am. God simply says, I am, that I am. People think God just is. It's a little bit like Nike. Nike says, just do it. Whereas Jesus says, no, nah, just done it. <laughs> so why don't we be a little bit like Jesus? And just do already what we know that we need to do. God says, if you love me, keep my commandments. You don't need to think about it. Let's just do it. In fact, you're sitting back down. Let's get back to our feet. Come on. Let's, I'm over time. Let's end this service in, in prayer. I know that there will be some people here today that this is not just speaking to your relationship, but this is speaking to you personally. That you know that your life is not right with God. You're feeling these insecurities. You've been chasing after the money, the possessions, the achievements to find your security. And every time you chase something, you discover it runs from you. So how do we attract it into our lives? Well, simple. Compare to care. Take a step of faith. 
and feel that insecurity, but become familiar with it so that it's no longer a factor for you, that fear can turn into fun. And do the thing that you know that you're supposed to do. Don't think about it, just do it. As Pastor Keith is fond of saying, you don't, you don't follow your feelings. It's easier to act your way into feeling than it is to feel your way into action. If you wait for the feeling to arrive, you'll be waiting forever. Just take a step of faith and let the feeling follow. Father God, I just thank You so much that You love us so much, that You took a faith step Yourself, that Jesus, that You came and died on the cross of Calvary to forgive us of our sins. You took the penalty that we would do. But I thank You, Jesus, You didn't stay dead. He rose three days later, that You now sit enthroned as our Lord of Lords. I thank You that You have given us Your mind that we can put on the mind of Christ, a kingdom mindset where we no longer need to be insecure. We can find our security and our identity in You and it is a complete game changer. And right now for anyone in this audience who doesn't have access to that, God, I pray that You would reach down right now. Pray God that You would speak to their hearts. Pray God that You would give them the courage to do the thing that they know they need to do right now. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, If you would like to get your life right with God today, I'm just going to pray a simple prayer to end this message. It only includes three quick things. One, that God loves us and we thank Him for inviting us into a relationship with Him. And two, we acknowledge that we've made our mistakes. We're sorry for them and we're going to make a change. And three, we say yes as He invites us into a relationship with Him that will follow Him as He leads us and guides us and transforms us. And that's it. Simple prayer. But if you would like to be included in this prayer, in a moment, I'm gonna count to three. And on the count of three, all I want you to do is just slip up your hand. I'll see it, I'll acknowledge it. You can slip it right back down again. I don't wanna embarrass anyone, but I do wanna know who is it that I'm praying for today? Who is it that's got the courage to take a step of faith today? So right where you're standing, with every head bowed, every eye closed, give everyone a sense of privacy. On the count of three, do the thing that you know you need to do. One, God loves you. Two, be bold now, be brave. And three, hands up right where you're standing. I've got hands going up everywhere. All on the balcony area, on the front four area, on my left, up on the back side. Hey, so many people getting their lives right with God today. If you've raised your hand, go ahead, slip it down. Why don't we encourage those people who've raised their hand by just simply praying this prayer all together out loud. Simply repeat these words after me, but as you pray, pray it like you really mean it. Ready to go? Say, Dear God, thank You for inviting me to be in relationship with You. I'm sorry, God, for the mistakes I've made, but thank You, Jesus, for dying for me and forgiving my sins. This day, I declare, I say yes to You. You are my King. I'll follow You wherever You lead me on this exciting adventure called life. Not only now, but forevermore. In Jesus' Name, Amen and Amen. Come on, let's give those people a massive round of applause. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on iTunes and YouTube. That way, you know when a new sermon has been uploaded. Also, if this message has impacted you and you want to contribute to help us reach more people, feel free to go to elevate.life forward slash give. We look forward to seeing you here next time.